You know, we've been having some fun in church, man. You've got the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm just telling you right now, you better have that. And our current series is called Invited. Let me review with you the last couple of weeks. We started with obeying the Bible. These are things we're committed to. These are our top-level core values, obeying the Bible. I've been reading the book of Luke. I, I don't know, uh, hopefully you have. Some of you took me up. I've heard from you on my Luke 24 challenge. Read one chapter every day. I hope you're doing that. Then last week, just a, a seminal message from JT on glorifying God through praise and corporate worship. And he talked a lot about that. I heard a lot of good chatter about the Shabbat. But glorifying God, you know, is all about making him famous in all that we do. This core value of glorifying God, it means it's beyond just worship and praise. It means that it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not even about JT. It's about Jesus. So in this year of preparation and transition, we are inviting all of you who've just started or those who've been with us long term to join us in living a life of relationship, discipleship, and mission. And on the weekend of February 6th, coming up just a couple weeks, we're going to have a special RSVP commitment, a time and moment, and we're going to invite you to come up, fill out a card, so we know who we can count on to be the church here and who will be the core of our church in the future. Now, this commitment, hear me now, is it's just a commitment to start moving forward with us. It's not saying you have arrived, you've got it all figured out. This is the starting line, not the finishing line. And so we accept you wherever you start. We just want everybody to get going. We're just going to challenge you not to stay where you start. Some of us have been growing for a long time and nobody can see it. We may think it, but maybe we are, maybe we're not. So this is what we're committing to, relationship, discipleship, mission. It's evidenced by these top-level layer core values. Obeying the Bible, glorifying God. Today, I want to deal with the third one. JT will be back next week with the last one before commitment weekend. Today, I want to talk to you about another core value of our church. I'm going to share some stuff that I've preached for, again, 19 years here, so a little old, a little new. I want to talk about loving people deeply and seriously. Loving people deeply and seriously. If you cut us as a church, besides obeying the Bible and glorifying God, we love people here. All sizes, shapes, look at me. They got me. I mean, if you can love me, who else can you love? So I want to do it in the context of Mark chapter 10. And I want to start with a, a, a petition. And all three of my points start with P. It'll be easy for you to remember today. First, there is, we see in Mark 10, a petition. And Quite a petition, quite a request it was. It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Now remember, James and especially John, these sons of Zebedee. I'm going to come back to them at the end. They came to him, Jesus, and said, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. <laughs> Can you imagine the audacity of a disciple? Now, they already saw Jesus, like he's in charge, whatever he wants to get done, he's going to do. But can you imagine the audience, Jesus, here's our open-ended request. We want you to do whatever we ask. How would you respond that way if your kids, some of you probably your kids have said that. Hey, hey, mom, dad, I want you to do whatever we ask you to do. Well, good luck with that. You're going to want a little more information. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. They replied, <laughs> this, is a, this is a request. Let one of us sit at your right 
and the other at your left in your glory. Those were the chief, pre, uh, chief seats of prominence and authority. They knew not enough to ask to be on the throne. That's really where they, all people want. Let us be at your left and your right. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? In other words, you, know, you got to wear the crown of thorns before you wear the crown of life. There, there's a price to pay. We can, again, <laughs> naive, stupid men. We can. Jesus said, you will drink the cup I drink of persecution, of martyrdom for some, and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right and left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So there was the petition. And now we move. Jesus takes this simple, naive, stupid question and request, and he's going to teach them and us a principle. This is the principle of loving people. This is a principle that runs deep in this church. It must continue to run deep in this church. Notice the principle, verse 41. When the ten heard about this, about the question that James and John asked, it says they became indignant with James and John. They were ticked off. In fact, I think the Greek says they were ticketh offeth. I think that's what it says. Now, why were they mad? Somebody said, well, that's because they're mad at James and John. Uh-uh. I think they're mad because they got to ask first before them. They were arguing, not too uh, closely associated with, was who was the greatest. They're arguing. Imagine that conversation. They're arguing among themselves who's the greatest. They were ticked off because they beat them to the punch. They were indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together, and here's the principle. You know, and this principle is for us too. You know, Jesus says, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. He's talking to us too. Not so with us. Instead, it's so countercultural. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Let me repeat that. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever wants to become great among you must be your slave. The way up is the way down. For even, he's not exempt from this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We see the petition, but now we see here the principle. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to be great, you've got to serve. One of the hallmarks, one of the things that has made this church special is it's never been about me. It's about he. It's about we. Whoever is greatest among you, whoever is greatest among us are those that serve. I've been thinking about it. I've done and officiated at probably hundreds of weddings in my career. And if you just want to see a busy place, you go back to the room where the bride is being prepared. It is chaos. There's back there people doing nails. They're doing hair. They're doing makeup. They're catering to the bride to make her look radiant when she comes. No brides have run out. Thank God yet. Runaway brides. But the bride of Christ is the one that we want to make look good. 
we are kind of like the unseen servants in the back halls and rooms of this church, making the bride look radiant, serving the bride, putting her first and ourselves last. This is so different than how you're wired because you were wired to put me first. <laughs> Some of y'all know I love country music, and my favorite, one of my favorite country music songs of all time is Toby Keith's song, I Want to Talk About Me. And y'all know that song? I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one, oh my, me, my, what I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. That's the way we tell you. That's, well, Toby didn't really quite sing it that way, but I have just sung for you the song of our world. I want to talk about me. We want to talk about Jesus. We want to lift him up. It's not about you. We, we talked about it in the Bible. It's not about you. It's what Jesus says. We talked about it last week. It's not your preference. It's not about you. It's about the king. Don't be so self-absorbed with your agenda that you miss God's wonderful agenda in your life. And if you'll just start to serve, some of you are new, trust me on this. If you'll just start to put others first, if you'll just start to become less so he can become more, you watch and see what God will do in your life. Well, then we move. Jesus is not done teaching. From the petition, we see the principle, and now he's going to show them what the principle looks like in practice. And it's one of my favorite stories, healing stories of the Bible. And there are so many lessons that you and I are going to learn, and would to God that we would be exactly do what Jesus did and be who Jesus was right here. Notice verse 46, the practice of this principle. Then... Right after he said this, then they came to Jericho. I've been to Jericho. It's about 15 miles from the Dead Sea, which is, I don't know if you know this, the lowest part in earth. Lowest section of earth is the Dead Sea. It is a dead place. Jericho is the place where the walls fell down, but it's very close to the bottom of the world. So it is not a stretch of imagination to say that this is the lowest city on the planet, and Jesus is going to meet the lowest guy in the lowest city on earth. And what makes him low is his condition. He's blind. They came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, remember his name, Blind Bart, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Jesus realizes I've got an opportunity to teach this principle in real life because people learn more by action than words. I'd rather see a sermon than hear a sermon any day, a walking sermon. And Jesus sees, ironically, someone who can't see him, blind Bartimaeus. He's begging. That's all they had to do. There was no social safety net in their day, no way for a blind person to have income just rely on the, the benevolent heart of a passerby. Imagine the pitiful existence of blind Bartimaeus. There was no way for him to earn a living. I don't know if he's still down there, but a couple years ago, I did something that I hate to do. I, it's kind of like judicial purgatory. I'm not talking about the, the, the BMV. That is too, but I got called to do jury duty. And y'all ever done jury duty? Now, we got lawyers, and we got administrators, we got government officials. God bless you. I hate jury duty. Some of y'all excited about it. 
I was bored out of my ever-loving mind. And what's worse is I tried to get out of it. I said, I'm for capital punishment for speeding tickets, thinking they were. <laughs> I figured, no, no way, a defense guy's going to kick me out. No. They said, Mr. Vaughn, you're going to be on this jury. But here's what's worse. I was an alternate juror, which means I had to sit through every single thing, and I couldn't even voice my opinion. It was the worst. I was sitting in a jury room counting, sealing tiles, like some of y'all did in a previous church, you know, counting. But when I got a lunch break, I went down. And I didn't want to go out of security. That's a major hassle to go in and out of that thing. So I went to the little cafe at the courthouse. Now, I don't know if he's still doing it, but a couple years ago, a guy who was blind runs that cafe. And the first time I went there, I got my, you know, my sandwich, my chips, whatever, my coffee. I went there, and he's ringing people up, and he's blind. And I thought, this is weird because he's saying to people, well, you look pretty today. And I thought, Especially when I looked at the girl next to me and she wasn't. But anyway, I, oh, 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 that's not very loving. That's, a, oh, oh, I'm sorry about that. I'm in a good mood because the Bengals won. Anyway, he, 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 he asks you what, you, what do you get? And you tell him. And he rings it up. And, and actually, he gets in the drawer. He gives you, takes your money, and he gives you your money. Gives it, gives it back to you. There's a little sign. I thought, how is this working? There's a little sign back when I went through the line. It said, don't cheat the blind man. I said, ooh, that's a good sign. Well, this guy would have loved to have a courthouse job. Don't lie to the blind man. But he doesn't have it. So he's going to be dependent on the one who loves people to liberate him from his pitiful situation. So Bartimaeus is there. And when he heard, it says in verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. See, his eyes don't work too good. Oh, but his ears work really good. God somehow amazingly compensates with our senses when we have a handicap or a struggle. When he heard that it was Jesus, he began to shout. His, His tongue works good too. His voice works good too. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He recognized this is my chance, my maybe one and only chance to get free and to get my sight and to get healed. And notice what he did here. He heard and then he hollered. That's what we say in Kentucky. He heard and he hollered. You know what? You may think that you have less than that you're handicapped or not privileged or you've got a lot of opposition or a lot of things in your life, blind Bartimaeus can teach you a great lesson. Use what you have against what you don't. Don't say you can't be used by God. Don't say God is done with me. Oh, he's not. And notice the crowd is very happy with blind Bartimaeus. Many rebuked him. Many rebuked him. Why is it that we who think we can see are so quick to judge and put and ostracize and marginalize those that can't? Why is it that we make it hard for people in need to get help and hope in Jesus? Like they are not worthy, those people. But those people are me and you. 
Those people are people Jesus loves. Those people are the people he went out of his way to reach. Many rebuked blind Bartimaeus and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He is not going to listen to the crowd when he's got a chance to be healed. You see, when you've been down and out like that, there's nothing you won't do to get your healing. No one will stop you. We used to sing a song years ago, He's All I Need. He's all I need. He's all I need. You know when I found out he's all you need? When he's all you got left. When nobody else understands, when everybody else has broken your heart, when nobody feels like they're for you, Jesus stands. And he's there in the gap. And he's all this guy's got left. And it says, I love these two words, Jesus stopped. Now let me just put your finger right there on your cell phone, your text. Stick with me. Parenthetically, I want to teach you something I've been teaching, again, in this church for a long time. This is your action items now. When you see someone, that's the first step. Love always notices. It always sees. In a lot of miracles, if you go back and look at Jesus, it says he saw him. This guy didn't see Jesus, but he saw him. He sees. Do you see? See, you, you will not lock eyes with anybody today and tomorrow that doesn't matter to Jesus. He, even Titans fans, you, you, I mean, you just love them. Even Browns fans, you just love them. Oh, hey. Jesus sees. I know. Get that mic over there, JT. He sees lots of things about you. You may not know it, but he does see. There's nowhere you can go he doesn't see. You may be hiding in the dark, but trust me, he sees you because he is light. He sees your predicament. He sees your pitifulness. He sees your pain. Today, watching online, he sees your cry, your tears. He sees your pain. Here's the bad news. He sees your past. He knows everything you've ever done. Here's the even better news, though. He sees your potential. He sees you for who you could be. Do you see people that way? Not for who they are, but for who they could be? Let's not be so careful to judge people in this church and out of this church. Because if you knew where they started, <laughs> you'd be clapping for them. You had a head start. In fact, they're growing faster than you. If they'd have started where you are, they'd be way past you by now. He, love always sees. Number two, love does what Jesus did here. Love stops. It's one thing to see, it's another to stop. But I'm busy. I got stuff to do. Isn't it funny? Have you, figured, have you found this amazing that the best opportunities to help people seldom come at a convenient time? It's not like it doesn't show up on your calendar. Okay, so that two weeks from Sunday or two weeks from Saturday, I'm, at 10 o'clock, I'm going to help somebody. Lord, send them. He won't because you won't. If you have to calendar helping people, we got a problem with your heart. Jesus was on the way to do some pretty important business, yet he stopped. He wasn't too busy to care. Because people are always more important than protocol. Relationships are always more important than rules. 
And friend, that's why attending this church is wonderful on Sunday, but being the church 24-7 is what this church is about. I want you to go and see and stop. But then one other thing, love acts. It moves. There's action to it. Love acts. Jesus did something. He found a way to love where he lived, to love where he was led. I I want you to do that. I want us to do that. If there's a secret sauce to our church, it's that we see things that other churches or other people may not see. We stop and we act on it. May that always be true. That's what it means to love people. It's one of our core values. Jesus stopped. And notice what Jesus says. He says, call him. Notice he didn't talk to the guy first. He talked to the crowd. What is he teaching? Hey, you're responsible. You've been criticizing this guy. Call him. Get him over here. He is more important than you right now. So they called to the blind man. Now notice how fickle the crowd is. They called to the blind man. Cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. Just a second ago, it was shut up. Now it's cheer up and get up. He's calling you. Maybe he's calling you. And throwing, don't miss this, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Don't go fast through that throwing the cloak aside. Why? Because that was likely his only source of security, the only material thing he had on earth to keep him warm, to sleep with. His only, in fact, that cloak was his identity. That's the blind man. He's under that cloak. (laughs) Do you see what this guy had to do to get healed? He had to release who he was to embrace who he needed to be. He had to let go of his security and his identity to embrace the new person that God wanted him to become. You're going to have to release some stuff. You're going to have to trust some stuff for God to heal you and this mess that you have made of your life. Quit clutching that which is making you blind. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. Jesus often asks that question. Do you want to get well? He just wants to make sure because you know what? Not everybody wants to get healed, says they get healed, really wants to get healed. How many of you all hear people say, I really want to grow, really? Well, what are you doing about it? Well, I don't know if I want to do anything about it. Well, good luck with that. What do you want me to do for you? The bottom line said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. That's his word to us. Go. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight. It's instant. And followed Jesus along the road. Follow Jesus, by the way, is the last core value JT's going to talk about next week. You, you can't obey the Bible, glorify God, and love people without following Jesus. He followed Jesus along the road. Is this not the most beautiful thing? Instead of just sitting by the road begging, he is now walking and following with the crowd to Jerusalem, worshiping. Because the very next chapter is the triumphal entry. It's where Jesus was heading to Jerusalem. And in the triumphal entry crowd was seeing Bartimaeus. He got healed at just the right time. He got to see the greatest parade that's ever happened until the Bengals win the Super Bowl. The greatest thing that's ever happened. 
unblind Bartimaeus got to be a part of it. His misery is now his ministry. Isn't that true for some of you? So let me ask you a question. There are so many blind folks around us if you look. Those in need of help and hope. And others who think they can see and are well, who need to have Jesus remove their spiritual blindness. So here's my question for you. What was your condition when he found you? What were you blind to? Part of the problem with being a Christian for a long time is that you forget what it was like. And one of the reasons John is so passionate, JT, is because he is, it's fresh in his mind where he started. Some of us never have had that experience. He'll never forget it. We're not talking about decades and decades. It's fresh in his mind and his memory. See, some of us have been found so long, we forgot what it's like to be lost. We forgot what it's like. We've been seeing for so long, we forgot what it was like when we couldn't see any of that. Never forget who you used to be. And if you can't name some who you used to be, <laughs> let me remind you, I've seen you for 19, 20 years. I can tell you some where you started when I met you in the water of baptism. And if you can't say that's who I used to be, I wonder who you are now. How do you see people around you? How do you see the blind barts of our world, the addicts, the prostitutes, the last, the least, the lost, the ones who have nothing together and the ones who appear to have everything together? Those are God's people across the spectrum. They are desired and loved by God. The bride of Christ then has to love them. So when you see someone this week, you see them. I encourage you to take your eyes off of your phone, <laughs> take your eyes off of yourself, and look at people differently this week. And I guarantee you, you will see things you have not seen before. What if you saw differently this week? What if you stopped like Jesus? What if you acted? What if this week you prayed when you got up? Not good, Lord, it's morning, but good morning, Lord. Maybe you woke up that way and said, God, whatever it is that I'm going to encounter today, help me to see somebody that I can help. What if you prayed that audacious prayer, someone I can love? What if you went through your day praying that prayer until you heard the God of heaven say, hey, you, here's your chance. That prayer you offered, that sermon Pastor David gave, I'm choosing you now to act and love that person. The one that looks different, the one that's smelly, the one that has the scarlet letter, the track mark, the lame, the blind, the broken, the one nobody else notices but Jesus in you. So when you look at people, do you show condemnation like the crowd or compassion like the Christ? When you, when we do that, when we as a church look at people, do we see, do we show condemnation or compassion? I said to you early on that James and John were the ones who made this original petition from which this entire teaching flowed. 
James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came and said, Jesus, do whatever we ask you to do. So, James and John. I don't know if you know a lot about particularly John. So I want to close with giving you a little background. I've kind of taught on it a time or two before, but for some of you, this is brand new. You know John. You know the name. He was the son of Zebedee, the brother of James. What did they do for a living? What was their occupation? Anybody remember? They were fishermen. But they were fishermen with a reputation. In fact, their reputation was so well-deserved and known that they actually gave those guys a nickname, Sons of Thunder. <laughs> now, you don't get that nickname by being president of the Ladies' Tea Society. They were bad at apples. <laughs> See, JT's up here, you might get another day. They were bad apples. These are the kind of guys who rode around on Harleys. Not that some of you Harley guys are bad. They got in bar fights. I can picture them riding into town with Sons of Thunder neck tattoos. These are not guys with robes and halos. These are raw, rugged fishermen with a reputation, prone to fight, pugilistic in nature. So you can imagine how shocking it was. When Jesus decided who he's going to pick as his 12 to follow him, and two of them are James and John, the sons of thunder. <laughs> Turns out that Jesus is not looking for prim and proper and perfect. He, he's looking for raw and rough and rowdy. Still does, by the way. Those are the guys that changed the world. One time Jesus and the 12 came to a town that didn't receive Jesus very well. And James and John went up to Jesus and said, Jesus, these guys, they're losers in this town. Let's call down fire from heaven to destroy this whole town. Let's just nuke them. That's what they actually said. Look it up. But when you are a son of thunder, that's how you respond to rejection. That's how John thought. That's how he acted. Before tattoo on body, tattoo on mind. But then something happened to John. You know what happened to John? Jesus happened to John. He started spending time day after day with this guy. And after three years, John developed this different way to think about life, and more importantly, people, even people who rejected him. He heard Jesus say that if you want to be great, John, you've got to be the least. If you want to be first, you've got to be last, the servant of all. So John began to see himself over time, not as a son of thunder, but a loving son of God. How do we know this? A couple reasons. John started calling himself by a different name. Listen to what John wrote about himself in John 21. He wrote this, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, he's talking about himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. He was no longer John the fisherman, no longer a son of thunder. He was the one that Jesus loves. Before you can love others, you have to understand how much you are loved. Before you can really forgive others, and your refusal, some of you, to forgive is because you have not calculated correctly how much you've been forgiven. You forgot what it's like to be lost. Because John, we also know it because he said, I'm the one Jesus loves, now I'm going to love others. We also know it because he went on to write a little book 
several little books. In the back of your Bible, if you're reading the Bible, you'll get there eventually. It's a little book called 1 John. And 1 John, just 1 John, little John I call it, includes the word love more than 30 times. Listen to this one example, 1 John 2.10. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. There's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has what? Blinded them. I wonder if he started thinking about that when he met blind Bartimaeus. Don't you, do you not agree that these are some fascinating words from a guy that said Newcomb just a few years earlier? Are these not some fascinating words from a former son of thunder? John was a changed guy, so much so that by the end of his life, people started calling John by a whole new nickname. Tradition says that as he was aged, an elderly apostle, that he would hunch over his cane and walk among people who believed in Jesus and remind the church over and over again, little children love one another. Little children love one another. Little children love one another. You know what they gave him then, a new, his new nickname? He wasn't a son of thunder. They called him the apostle of love. And as I age a little bit, not hump, hunched over yet, but become the sage from the stage, I'm just going to bend over and say to all of you little children, love one another. Love one another. Think about how great our church would be if we just loved one another. Think about how great our city would be, our world would be, if we just simply loved one another. When we realize that we are loved, therefore others are loved. Man, may my legacy be one of obeying the Bible, glorifying God, loving others, and as JT is going to talk about next week, following Jesus. And if you will do these core values day after day, something will happen to you too. He will give you son and daughter of thunder. A different way to think about yourself and others. You will love your neighbor as yourself. You will, like Jesus, love where you live. And you'll realize in the process that you are not unlovable. You are actually also one that Jesus loves. <clears throat> I've got a preacher buddy who's out in Vegas who didn't grow up in church. And he said he needed to be reminded, in fact, a rough background, mom and dad did not show much love. And he struggled with that for a long time because he didn't feel love. How many of us don't recognize that we don't feel love from the Heavenly Father because we didn't feel love from our physical father? It's a father wound. He carried one, my buddy. And he needed to be reminded that he was not the one Jesus hates, but the one Jesus loved. So several years ago, my preacher friend decided to get tattooed while he was preaching the sermon. I don't think so. But he did, and he got a tat that day 
that showed his true identity and one that he would never forget. I'm just thankful they only had one service. I'm not sure how many they did. You know what his tattoo says? The one Jesus loves. So he looks at it every day and never forgets in the mirror, I'm the one that Jesus loves. That became his new identity, his new sense and source of security, and therefore his marching orders to love others that Jesus loves. Maybe that will be a new identity for someone here watching online or in this room today. And it is the legacy of our church for you to obey the Bible, to glorify God, to love people deeply and seriously, just like Jesus did. And you get that identity at first by believing and repenting of sin and confessing and being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's what empowers you to live a new life of love. Isn't that good stuff? It's not as complicated, folks, as we make it to be. So this week, just go love people. See what God does. See if you don't feel better about yourself and the kingdom of God will grow.